eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're you're tuned into It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. The top podcast covering the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, my co-host here. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Lindsey? Not too bad. It's a little crazy because we're going to pull back the blinds a little bit. Our first episode that is live. Of course, we had a trailer come out a couple weeks ago. Jesse Bates is back at Paycor Stadium, which is just wild. And I'll take this news every day of the week when we record right now. I'll be completely honest with you. When I think about the timeline of Jesse Bates and we've talked about it before off the air, is he coming back? Is he going to sign the franchise tag? Obviously they couldn't come up with a multi-year contract for me personally. I'm not surprised at all. The guy didn't want to play in preseason. He didn't want to get injured. He sits out a couple weeks. He comes back just in time for a couple weeks to get ready for regular season. What do you think about Jesse Bates back in the building today? Oh, I mean, it's earlier than I thought it would be because I thought he would come back, what, maybe like uh, uh, the week of the first game or something like that so he can get game plan down. I never thought he was going to hold out the whole season. But, yeah, I mean, to come back before joint practices and really let uh, the defense work as a unit with him in it rather than trying to work with Daxton Hill taking his spot is really going to, I think, ease things into the first game because really – for him, he probably wasn't even going to play in those preseason games. So he really just missed training camp time. And we think about, we talk, everybody talks so much about how the training camp and all that, that didn't matter that much for Joe Burrow. It's kind of the same for Jesse Bates, right? He's been in the system for three years and he's a veteran. So he'll be able to step right in and do what he needs to do, especially coming back this early. 
Yeah, when I think about Jesse Bates and Obvious's leadership, we've talked about that plenty of times. And I think a lot of fans are like, pay Jesse Bates. And you want to say, they can't right now. They have to agree on the franchise tag. And that's the only option until the end of the season. Look, personally, when I look at the outlook of what's going to happen this season in the future, I think this is the last season of Jesse Bates in stripes for Cincinnati. But you mentioned Daxton Hill. And I think you look at these last two preseason games and you think, look, the Bengals, they kind of drafted his replacement and he's looked legit out there. I know comparing preseason games is really hard because sometimes you have second, third stringers out there against some rookies. But you also get the chatter on social media. Jesse Bates is back in the building. He's at the preseason game, right? He was at the preseason game at uh, Pecor Stadium a couple weeks ago. And personally, I don't think Jesse Bates is back because he thinks, well, Daxton Hill is going to take my job. Everybody knows when Jesse Bates is back, this is Jesse Bates' field. But when you think about the three of them, you, you think about the secondary, the DB group, the safety room, Jesse Bates, Vaughn Bell, Daxton Hill, what's that going to look like on the field? Yeah, so I did some quick math just because uh, I wanted to figure it out. Just what's the max amount of uh, snaps that Daxon Hill plays this year? Probably 600 or so in the regular season. I combined every DB that would come on the field for dime and uh, removed about the 50 snaps Brandon Wilson played in the Jacks game and Jesse Bates missed. I mean, they played with uh, a safety body. 560 snaps this year, uh, an extra safety body, not not just one. Um, and I'm including Trey Flowers in that because covering tight ends is really usually a safety thing. And he's kind of built like a safety. He's a big corner. That guy's like 6'3", 220. I remember when I was on with Coach Vass, he thought he was a linebacker. <laughs> I was like, no, that's a corner. Uh, but uh, so if Daxon Hill takes uh, Trey Flowers' job, so to speak, I'm sure Flowers still plays, then he takes the tight end role. And then he could also take the dime, the big dime look role. And it really just opens things up for, in my opinion, the coverage underneath, because you really don't want to have your linebackers so much in man coverage, but Von Bell also probably not the best in man coverage. He's better underneath zone type stuff and he can play a little deep zone, but I don't love him man to man on tight end type stuff. That's really why they brought in flowers. And, uh, what that allows you to do is you put Daxon Hill on the tight end, like a Mark Andrews type, and now you have you have your roving chess pieces in both Daxon Hill and Von Bell. So now Von Bell could play robber, deep, whatever, and Jesse Bates is playing what he does best, deep in the field, reading everything top down and making a play. He's a smart guy. He's a great, great reaction, good player. I mean, just everything you want with uh, – a safety like that to play over the top. So what I think is that you're going to see a lot of Daxon Hill both manned up underneath. And then also you're probably going to see it interchange a little bit with who could play the zone underneath uh, with him and Von Bell. So I think it's interesting. I'm interested to see how that'll look and uh, whether or not they get him on some of those blitz packages too. He looked good doing that last in this preseason game. Everybody loves a comparison game. You think about the wide receivers they have and Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. You look at the secondary right now. Do you feel like when it comes to position groups on this team alone, this is the second strongest compared to other positions on the team? The safety room or the defensive backs? I'll go safety room right now. Okay, safety rooms, I do think so. Corner, I feel like it's a little bit dicey when you're talking about does – I'm not saying he won't, but does Eli Apple keep it up? You know, because he was pretty good last year, but Eli Apple's never put together two pretty good seasons back to back. Maybe Luana Rubo can get that out of him. I'd love to see it. I'm rooting for it. Uh, but with just safeties, yeah, that's probably the second 
best group, even though Burrow's at quarterback, you think Brandon Allen, who's really more of the clipboard Burrow friend, tape watcher, <laughs> backup type, not the, uh, oh, this guy plays and we're fine type. Uh, not really him. Um, and uh, the running back room is pretty strong, but uh, I would say safety, definitely, because you've got three high level, I, I think at least upper mid to high level starting caliber guys there. And that's a good problem to have. We're thinking, how can we get this third safety on the field as much as we can? And that sounds a lot like, how can we get three wide receivers on the field as much as we can? Because it would be a shame if any of these guys missed more than like five snaps in a game. Not to back it up too much, but obviously when it comes to drafts and mock drafts of who Cincinnati was going to take, and then they pick late in the first round. So when I feel like a player is underrated, it seems silly to say because he was almost a second round player were you pleased with that pick? And, and did you think it was more of a, this is going to be a replacement for Jesse Bates in the future? Yeah. I mean, I thought that was writing on the wall for Bates. I, I thought it was a little bit last year was kind of writing on the wall for Bates when they didn't give him the deal. I thought they were going to really extend him pretty quickly last year. And when that didn't go through, I thought, uh Oh, <laughs> like there's probably an issue here, whether that's guaranteed money, like it sometimes happens to be with uh, this ownership in front office or whether it's Bates thinks he's worth more than the Bengals think he does some combination of both. I thought they drafted Daxon Hill and I kind of got that feeling. I, I was watching a lot of the safeties, including Daxon Hill. And I loved Daxon Hill's game, loved how versatile he was and that you have a legit man coverage guy, at least in the inside part of the field. So I did think, yeah, that's kind of the writing on the wall for Jesse Bates. I love the pick. I was, I mean, I'm not going to just say I was, that was my number one choice because I think, as it was going, I really liked Kyir Elam, but he went to the Bills. And then I was like, okay, well, I hope Karloftis falls because that guy's awesome too. And he's been awesome in the preseason for the Chiefs, but he didn't fall. But where they took him, I was like, yeah, that's the best player available. I understand taking him there. So I think it's a great pick. I thought uh, it was writing on the wall for Bates. And uh, the most interesting season for him is probably going to be this year just with all the different ways they can utilize him. Next year, I feel like his role is more solidified as the deep safety type. Do you think this is it for Jesse Bates? This is a one and done in Cincinnati right now. Yeah, I mean, the only way I think he gets a deal is if maybe if he plays so astronomically good, he's like a first team all pro, leads them to the Super Bowl again. And then they're like, okay, it's worth a second franchise tag. You know, and we'll, we'll run this back but it's probably the last year, right? Because that's really hard to do, especially missing a little. I mean, I said training camp doesn't matter too much, but I feel like if you're going to end up being like the best safety in the league, you've probably got to get every, every inch you can of preparation for the season. So I think he'll be good. Can he be that good and worth like the Bengals looking at it and saying, we'll give him another franchise tag and then let him go. I don't see the long-term deal happening because if he balls out, then he's really leaving the Bengals, not just leaving the Bengals price range, but you're getting into the window of Chase and Burrow. Like if you extended him last year or this year, then you could theoretically, okay, we've got an out in year four so we can maybe trade, cut, restructure, whatever, so that we can make the Chase and Burrow deals work. But when you're talking about Burrow's, what, next year, I think he's extension eligible. eligible. And really the first cap hit doesn't hit till the year after that. And then Chase and T Higgins and all these guys are extension eligible. And Jonah, that becomes an issue of, well, we should have, if we were going to have Bates around for longer term, we should have done that earlier. 
I'm going to stay with the safety position right now because we do talk a lot about extending Jesse Bates. Obviously, he is back in the building today, which, again, not surprising news to me because you're not going to lose 12 to $13 million this season when you can show your tape, get the multi-year deal that might not be in Cincinnati. But if you are the front office, and yes, you mentioned it, the Jamar Chase deals, the T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, I think that main focus is trying to get that deal done next season when the conversations can finally happen. Look, it might take a couple years for the extension on how they do that. It could be a shorter deal. Some quarterbacks you look at now are 10 years or maybe you move it to five years. Everyone in Cincinnati is hoping it's a 10-year deal down the road. But sticking with extensions going into next year, you look at the safety room, Von Bell. Is he someone that you're trying to extend? <sighs> it's going to be rough if you lose both if you lose both the starting safeties from last year in one in one season. I could see them trying to push for a short deal with Bell. I don't know about long term though, because he is getting up there in age, and who knows? Maybe they look for the next Von Bell in a free agency type deal. You know, a guy that what he was like 6 million a year or so. Cause I think Von Bell, if he stayed would be a little bit more pricey than that, especially with the way the safety market has gone. So maybe they look for a, a different guy to be like, okay, well we loved Yvonne, but we are trying to, you know, save a little bit here so that we can pay all these talented guys on offense. So let's go find a little bit of a bargain at safety the same way that they found Von Bell for a bargain. If you're looking at positions in the secondary alone, you mentioned Eli Apple, and I think he's had a few impressive reps against Jamar Chase. It's iron sharpens iron out there. You look at Cheeto against some of the best in practice right now. When you look at the cornerback room, Cam Taylor Britt, I know he's kind of dealing with a little bit of a lingering injury. What do you think about him so far in camp, and is he going to make any impact in his rookie year if healthy? It's interesting. Um, I thought he sometimes would lose a little bit of balance and stuff when I watched him in college in Nebraska. Uh, he's really good ball skills and he's really confident in himself. He plays as, he plays up to his athleticism. There's a lot of guys that are very fast, very athletic, but then when they get on the field, they're, they're not confident backpedaling and switching and all this type of stuff. So they don't look like it. And then you, I mean, those are the types that you go, Whoa, that guy's a four, three guy <laughs> working with Cam Taylor Britt. I was like, yeah, he looks, he looks four, three, eight or whatever he ran. You know, he looks confident when he plays. So I love that about him. And uh, I do think if he plays, I don't, I don't see it being that bad, but look, I, uh, I do think they really like Eli Apple and I think they want to get Daxon Hill on the field as much as possible. So it becomes difficult to find when Cam Taylor Britt would come onto the field. He's a bigger corner. So maybe against some tight ends, they want to use him instead of Daxon Hill. He's bigger than Hill, I believe. And uh, I don't know. He, he definitely likes, he has a nose. He it's kind of like Mike Hilton. He likes to get in the trenches and get down dirty and try to tackle running backs, get down in there. So I do think there's a way he gets onto the field and he looks good. And the team is like, whoa, okay. So you're now starting um, whether he gets that opportunity. I don't know. And whether he plays up to that with the injuries and everything like that, I don't know either, but I do think there is a way he makes an impact this year. But I think the most likely if everybody's healthy outcome is that Eli Apple plays pretty much all of the cornerback two snaps and then cornerback three slot corners, Mike Hilton. And then the fourth DB they'll bring on is probably Daxton Hill. Yeah. I think that secondary is going to be really fun to watch over the next couple of weeks going into that week one game against the Steelers. We have preseason games to talk about two in the book, one more to finally go. 
and this offensive line. I'm sorry, there's going to be a topic every week. Plenty to talk about with that line in the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to get to that in just a moment on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Again, as I mentioned prior to the break, there's two preseason games in the books right now for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we really haven't seen much of Joe Burrow. He gets to training camp in August. So all the talk is on who's going to make the offensive line backups. Where's the depth at the left guard position? So far, when you look back, we'll get to offensive line in just a moment. When you look at these last two preseason games, what stands out for you? Oh, there's a few things. Um, I do think I was thinking a lot this offseason when I watched Hayden Hurst, and I was like, that guy's really good at a at a SIF block, which is a big topic this, <laughs> this week. But that guy's really good at a SIF block and cut blocking. So I'm like, I wonder if they're going to implement that more because CJ Uzama was a little bit more of the uh, combo blocks on the front side and trying to work to the second level. But I don't know what it is about Hurst. He's not overly small, but he excels much more at just trying to take a guy out on the backside of runs. So I've been looking for that a little bit. And then, yeah, uh, they've been running a bit more of like a, a split zone rather than just a standard wide zone type play. And the split zone is just essentially you've got your tight end off of the line of scrimmage and he's going to work across the line. So if the runs to the left, the tight ends working to the right, just like the play where Thad Moss, unfortunately injured Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, he's going to work back across and usually cut down that backside end to open up a running lane on the backside while the offensive line's working the other way to open something up on the front side. So it gives a little bit more flexibility. And then what really makes it nice is, uh, especially a guy with her athleticism, is that sets up the uh, slide play really well, where it looks exactly like that. He's coming right at that end, but then he goes over him and he just runs a little flat route. And I mean, that in the NFL since what, like 1990, whatever, John Elway throwing this <laughs> has been like a free 10 yards for teams that can execute a good split zone. So I think that I've been seeing a little bit more of that. And I know this is like a weird nerdy thing to <laughs> pick as what's the main reaction for the preseason game. I've seen a lot of split zone. So that's what I've been we looking for. That. We love that little X's and O's right now. I mean, I can count on you for that. Cause I'm not going to add that into this podcast. So go right ahead. 
Yeah. Uh, so the so I've been seeing a bit more split zone, and I think I haven't seen a ton of the slide stuff, but I think they'll implement plenty of that. They tried it last year, but I don't think they ran their split zone well enough. My one question is if Burrow loves to have his back turned towards the defense, but they're running so much under center stuff that I think they're going to try it again this year, at least at the beginning. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been looking for is, uh, all right, how, how often are they going to run split zone versus a standard wide zone? And it's pretty often. I don't have like an exact split. I haven't charted it, but uh, I do think that that's going to be a big part of the offense this season. I didn't mean to go really tight and heavy, but I have a couple of things for you right now. We're going to stick to the Thad Moss topic because I didn't expect this to be so heated between national analysts, NFL offensive linemen on the defensive side. Everybody feels very strongly about the video that went viral for Thad Moss. When you watch that in that moment, do you feel like it's because the name of the player of who it happened to versus it happening in every play all the time in NFL games? It's the name of the player. And I also think it's how gruesome it looked. And they kept showing the replay with the knee bending inwards. I'm like, oh, that, that looks bad. It's not dirty. It, it, But just like you have a natural reaction as a human to go, ooh. You know, that's what I did. And uh, but then everybody's calling it a dirty play. And it's like, well, well, hold on. It's not a dirty play that happens all the time. Legitimately, if you go on to Twitter.com and you put in the search bar split zone, you will see. I haven't done it myself, but I'm sure hundreds of reps of like that tight end cutting on the backside. I have plenty on my computer of just that tight end cutting the backside because that's what they do. They're just cutting that guy down so he can't make a play on the front side. And it opens it up on the backside because if it's a good block, he gets him onto the ground. Not that it's as good as like a pancake and that type of stuff, but it gets him on the ground. He's not making a play from the ground. And really the thing with Thibodeau that made it so bad for him is he didn't, I think it's a speed of the game type thing. He didn't feel that cut block coming. They lock eyes, they look down at each other. So he knows a block's coming, but he tries to play it as if Moss is going to stay high. He came with uh, what I know is gladiator technique. So it's, you look like a gladiator. You got a, uh, your shield on one side. He looks like he's shield bashing into the block, near foot, near shoulder, both into the block. But then Thad Moss went low to try to cut block him. And what you want to do as a defensive lineman there is hands down, thumbs down, push him down and get your feet out of the play. So that way you could stay on your feet and that block is rendered useless in a way. I mean, it usually does still hold them up long enough that they can't do anything, but you're still on your feet and you protected yourself. So it's just a speed of the game. I mean, I think Thibodeau is going to get used to it. I mean, it, it's just the NFL moves so much quicker than college and block reaction and reading those is one of the big things. Yeah, and not to back you up too much, you you mentioned Hayden Hurst, and I think what this team has been really missing, no offense to C.J. Uzama, because I really did feel like C.J. and Joe Burrow started to get that connection in Joe Burrow's rookie year. Unfortunately, Joe gets hurt, and then they come back, and C.J.'s still a big part of the weapons room, but I think Hayden Hurst can be bigger than that. And they've really looked for a red zone tight end. Tyler Eifert, unfortunately, when he was here, he dealt with a lot of injuries, and they've never really had that. And I feel like that's one of the things – you go into the 2022 season, you got to figure out that threat in the red zone for this team. Where are you putting Hayden Hurst right now when it comes to weapons and then obviously an upgrade over CJ? Uh, sorry, muted for a second. Um, yeah, I think Hayden Hurst is to me pretty clearly the fifth weapon on offense, which is a great issue to have <laughs> to have him be your fifth guy. Cause I think the three wide receivers and Nixon, and then it's probably Hurst. 
So specifically in the in the passing game, yeah, you like what Uzoma brought, Uzama brought, <laughs> but uh, I think Hurst is more athletic, but he's a little less physical. Uzama was a very physical guy. I think that's where he started making his name for himself on the Bengals. That's why they liked him to start. And then uh, he's fairly athletic himself, but he had the Achilles tear. And I feel like that took just a little bit off. And Hurst looks faster. So I do think that Burrow's going to like him a lot. He liked Uzama a lot because he's a big target. I mean, <laughs> T. Higgins is also almost <laughs> – he's six foot four as well. So it's like you got another big guy for the red zone. I think of Joe Burrow's first touchdown against the Browns – his first throwing touchdown. I guess he ran one on quarterback draw against the Chargers. But the one he threw against the Browns, it's a YY Verts play, which is essentially you've got your two tight ends right next to each other. One goes – the inside one goes straight up the field. And the other one kind of does a little bit like a wheel where he goes out and then up. And Uzama was on that out and then up. And Burrow's able to place it on him. He's got such good accuracy and ability to read leverage. He can hit that back side, back shoulder type thing on these big targets. And Jamar Chase, who's not a big target, but plays like one. So he hits that back shoulder. And it's just, it's so hard to cover a guy that's six foot four when the quarterback can put the ball top shelf and behind him. And I think Hurst is the guy, is the type of guy to have the body control and the athleticism to both stress the defense vertically and make linebackers kind of useless covering him not that they do that all the time anyway but he's even faster than safeties too and then the body control and hands to catch that and get his feet inbounds or turn his body and come down with it i really like what he can bring to the Bengals. i don't know how much of an upgrade it's on it is in the passing game over uzama and honestly i think if you ask me i think i would prefer uzama in the run game but I don't think you're losing much because the team's probably going to be more pass-oriented this year. We saw what the team looked like after the bye. I think that's what we're looking at for the future of the Bengals. A lot of shotgun, a lot of passing, not so much of that mixing 25 carries in a single game type thing. And what Uzoma brought was better for the first half, but what Hurst brings is better for that second half offense. We're looking forward to the last preseason game. I think all NFL fans are. You're ready to get out of that game four quarters. No starters really are going to be taking the field. And personally, I'm just ready for week one against the Steelers. But you look at this team right now. They're having a joint practice versus the LA Rams. And I still find it odd because it's two Super Bowl teams. Coming to town, obviously, we know Zach Taylor and Sean McVay are good friends. So it all makes sense. But personally, I'm excited for a little Jalen Ramsey, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins 2.0 rematch. I think everybody needs to be mic'd up. This last preseason game's happening. Joint practices happen at uh, Paycor Stadium this week. What are you looking forward to? I think I'm looking forward to the most scary thing possible, which is Aaron Donald and Cordell Volson. <laughs> Where it's like the best player in the entire NFL going against a guy I hope can start at left guard. But honestly, it's what you need to see because week one, he might be going up against Cam Hayward, who, what, top three, four, five defensive tackle still. So if he can handle the air, I, I don't care so much about all that crazy cross chop stuff that Aaron Donald does that's just going to beat anybody but can he handle the bull rush a little bit and sink down and anchor in against that because that's what I'm worried about him versus Cam Hayward can he keep the firm pocket with that he hasn't really had that issue in the preseason it's more so the shifty movement types that are getting him a little bit in the preseason he's done a good job with that anchor but can he do it against a guy with the natural leverage of being six foot just like Geno Atkins and whatever he 
perfect hand placement, the scariness of this guy can legitimately go three ways, either through me or either side on me. Best player in the league. Can he hold up enough that I feel like, okay, that's manageable? Or is it he's not even winning a single rep type thing, which is possible. And that's not even like a that guy shouldn't start if he can't win a rep against Aaron Donald because that's Aaron freaking Donald. But <laughs> can I get a little bit of excitement where he anchors in against an Aaron Donald bull rush or something? I, it's it's scary in terms of you're probably not winning many of those, but there's excitement in what if he does. I'm going to stay with O-line right now because I think a lot of people in the social media world, everybody's fighting for Cordell to be the left guard when you think about week one for this offensive line. Obviously, they spent some money, they upgraded the offensive line, and they have to. It's going to be crazy if they can stay healthy when Joe Burrow has extra time. But the left guard position, it's still questionable. I mean, it's unfortunate that Jackson Carmen, he hasn't worked out. And I know it feels early to say the guy's a bust after one year, but he's not ideal when you look at that position right now. You look at Collins working with Cordell after practice, putting those extra reps in, and you think, Where's Jackson Carmen right now? You know, I, I know he's tested for COVID this week. So unfortunately, hopefully he's doing well. But when he's out there, it's just he's not staying after. He's not getting those extra reps in right now. When you look at this offensive line, you get Trey Hill out there for some extra reps. What is it going to look at look like in the left guard position situation in just a couple of weeks for this team? Or do they need to get on the phone and say, hey, Quentin Spain, we need some extra bodies right now. We need you out here. And personally, I feel like Trey Hopkins is someone, if he's still in football shape and he's been rehabbing and doing well because he was really pushed last year. I think a lot of people forget when he did struggle, obviously, at the center position. He's coming off an ACL tier in January, and he's ready for week one, which is still unbelievable. And I feel like that was a little rush back for him. He really didn't get his time. But you move him to the guard spot. You add extra depth at center just to have him back in the room. Me personally, I'm bringing Trey Hopkins back. Are you moving in a different name? Or are you still looking at some of these younger guys for the left guard position and then added depth on the offensive line? If it's me, I probably push for Quentin Spain to come back because I thought he was solid to pretty good last year. Now, everybody wants to talk about the second half and the playoffs. What happened there? He got carted off of the field in like week 16 and then played by the first playoff game. I think he was playing a little bit hurt, and I'm not opposed to Trey Hopkins either. What I think is if Cordell Volson, or I'm not going to just throw him out because he had a bad preseason game and was bad last year, Jackson Carmen could still win the job. If either one of them can beat out Quinton Spain or Trey Hopkins, but especially to me Spain just because he played pretty well last year for the most part, then that means that you've got a guy that he's going to come in and he's solid. Whereas now you've got two guys and to me, the floor and this is fixed by Trey Hopkins too. The floor is just, well, what do you think of another team taking a late fourth round rookie and starting him? You think, Oh boy, I hope BJ Hill's going to have a good game. <laughs> you know, it's not, but even as much as we might like Cordell Volson, he could be really good. It's just on paper. I think, okay, uh, while he's been pretty good, I don't know. There's just such a floor raise when you've got a guy that you know is going to bring you solid level play, whether that's a Hopkins or a Spain. They're both versatile too. Spain is good on both sides of the line, and he can even swing out to tackle in a very, very difficult situation like he did two years ago against the Steelers. 
and then Hopkins can play all three interior spots. And the center versatility is also nice. So I'd call either one of them up and just see, because I just, it's a Super Bowl window and I just want to raise that floor. And I don't think either one's going to cost that much money. It's early on in the podcast. This might be the second segment might be all offensive line to be determined on what that's going to look like. But the last but not least, we're going to wrap this up is what we have learned on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the last but not least segment, what we have learned this week. Lindsey Patterson here. And Mike Santagata. All right, Mike, when you think, we've talked about preseason, we've talked about offensive line, we've talked about Jesse Bates. What have you learned so far? We're in midway point through of August. It's almost September, which is crazy to believe. Regular season is almost here, but where are you at right now on, on what you've learned so far? I think the main thing I might have learned this week, and it's just a reminder because this happened to me once before, is just when you're watching the game live for the first time, I really don't know how great the analysis is on interior offensive linemen because me and everybody was like, ooh, Cordell Volson is the best player out there right now on the offensive line or something, at least something like that. I kind of held back a little bit because I was like, I remember I said this before about something and I remember watching. I went, oh, no, that's not true. But uh, it seemed like everybody was like, yep, he just won the left guard spot. And honestly, he might have just by showing up and playing decently. But it wasn't as good as we remember. So it's just a reminder to just – wait until you have enough time to go over something, go over that the game a second time to before having a real definitive take. All right. I'm going to stay with offensive line before, before I give mine up of what I have learned so far, you mentioned in the prior segment about Jackson Carmen and really not ready to give up on this guy. Obviously it's just one year in the books for his rookie year. He did deal with some injuries and you have to wonder if they had one more healthy offensive lineman in the Super Bowl, if that means that team's coming home with rings or not. But personally, why are you not ready to give up on Jackson Carmen? What do you see from him when you watch the tapes or highlights or any of his reps in regular season last year that this guy still has a shot to be a guard in the NFL. Really to me, and the, just strictly on the field stuff here is just, um, you could see why they like him and it's not anything really technical. He's very raw still, it, both his feet and his hands. He's so wide with his hands and it really sucks because the, his best thing is just how powerful his punch is. Just not just naturally. He's not really, really straining into it, but just naturally hitting a guy and he could stop stuff. He can move guys over a full gap. It's just, he never connects. So if he could ever, and I don't know about practice, maybe in practice, he's like, Oh yeah, he's fine. He's fine. And these like 
75% speed reps. But then when the bullets are flying and it's not a guy, you know, it's just every single rep seems to be wide, wide, wide. And it, what it does is it saps away his power. He gets called for holding penalties because his hands are wide. You can see those when you're grabbing in. And then also he's given up his chest. I mean, and you're as, as an offensive lineman, your chest is essentially your head as a boxer. Uh, if you give that up, you're losing control of the fight. So he needs to protect that better. He needs to be able to nail his hands inside on these defensive linemen. And he needs to be able to get his feet down so that he's not worried, not in bad positions, not playing high. Just everything technically seems to still be not great, <laughs> just like last year. But it's just when you see him connect with the hands, it go, I just go, okay, I get it. I get why – you know, this guy could be a starting guard because if he plays well enough within the phone booth, which is becoming wider and wider with these defensive linemen, just going wide, 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 uh, but plays well within that limited space. He's pretty athletic. And then he's got just real power to him and he's got a little bit of length too. So there is reason to not give up, even though I think Cordell Wilson most likely has already, if not going to win the job this week, just by virtue of Carmen not being able to play in the last preseason game. I don't know. I, I think as a player, you could still see him start, but it it's slipping more and more away every week. And at, at this point, I mean, you almost not going to say uh, – not gonna jinx him, but you almost need Cordell to not play for a week and then Carmen to light it up for him to actually have the shot. And I don't see that happening, but I do think when you watch him, you're like, it's still fixable. He's still young. He's still a second year pro. It's just, ah, you want to see more improvement from last year. I, so I'm on both sides. Because I feel like we've talked about offensive lines since after the 2015 season when they had a legit offensive line. Do you feel like this guard position spot is in better shape than it was Joe Burrow's first year? To start that year, it was Mike Jordan. And I think it might be in a better spot than that. <laughs> we don't uh, think back of everything in Washington right now. I mean, it all <laughs> PTSD for a lot of Bengals fans. So, you know, when you think about this guard position, I mean, just what it used to be years ago. And obviously people will say the Bengals, they don't play that they pay the guard position. They just don't value it as much as they do tackles. But at some point you have to value the guard position and, and spend that money. And for them personally, they went the draft. If you look at the left guard position right now. And I think if you look over the last couple of years, yeah, it's still a question mark at left guard. And we don't know what the rookie's going to look like week one because I'm still leaning toward he's going to be starting because he is getting those reps right now. And those are valuable reps. We're at the end of August right now. Early September is going to be here before you know it. And all the game plan is going to be for week one against the Steelers. And you're like, hey, this other guy, he's getting second team reps. I'm not putting him out there right now. Joe Burrow took 70 sacks last year. So for me personally, I would say, if healthy, this offensive line is probably – this is going to sound like a hot take and it's about to come out of my mouth. It's probably in the best position it's been in since 2015. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree. I, I think uh, you got both tackle spots solidified. You've got a stud at right tackle in Maul Collins, and you've got what could be another stud at left tackle in Jonah Williams. Last year – and we always – it seems like everybody's talking about what Jonah could be this year. Last year, he was good. He, he wasn't elite, but he was good. So if he builds on that, he becomes even better this year. And then you've got a solid center and then a good and still 
feels like ascending right guard in Alex Kappa. So you've got four positions solidified. 2015 only had four positions solidified. You think Andre Smith, solid. Andrew Whitworth, stud. Kevin Zeitler, stud. Clint Bowling, pretty good. But then Russell Bodine was in the middle, and you're like, okay, that's the guy that's always messing this whole thing up. It's not five, it's not five elite offensive linemen, it's four really good ones, and then that guy in the middle that you hope doesn't ruin it. So now it's kind of the same thing, right? You got four good offensive linemen, and then a guy in the middle, and I'm hoping Cordell Volson isn't a Russell Bodine because I think there's like what 80% chance Cordell Volson starting week one. Uh so like we talk about what we would do. What I think happens is Cordell Volson's out there week one. And just is what it is. But you've got four good that you know are good offensive linemen. And then you have a left guard that you're not sure of. But you, if you have one position that's not great, that's to me, okay, there's ways to get around that. You could slide the center. You can give him help with the tackle and chip with the tight end. You can have him try to uh, play it inside out all the time. Let him ride guys around the outside just a whole bunch of different ideas to you can have running backs chip up the middle, <laughs> release up the middle to take away a side. There's a whole bunch of stuff that they can do to help one guy. The issue is when you have to help the right guard, the right tackle and the left guard or something like that, or the center right guard, right tackle. And you've got two or three positions that you're like, well, how do we help all three of these guys or two of these guys that becomes more iffy. But when you're just helping one guy, I think that's definitely doable. And that's really what they did in 2015. You mentioned Jonah Williams, and I kind of bring this up when you have a healthy offensive lineman. I think we haven't seen the best of Jonah Williams yet. I think he can be better. And just imagine if he actually gets legit help with the interior and he has another tackle, a legit tackle on the other side, what this offensive line can do for the guys who have already been showing up in Jonah Williams and then obviously in the free agents depth and, and starters that you have out there. For me personally, I think that's going to be a difference maker on this offensive line. But I'll stay with the offense right now, and I think it was kind of a hot topic this offseason. What I have learned, and I'm, I'm so optimistic when I think about their weapons, for me personally, I still think they need that fourth wide receiver. Of course, if this team is healthy and you have Tyler Boyd out there, you have Jamar Chase, you have T. Higgins, you're in great shape. If somebody could tell you that right now in August that those guys are going to be ready for the whole entire season, you don't have to worry about a thing. Because obviously when you look at last season, help was in the Bengals' favor. And that's a big reason why they went on the run they did. And then obviously the talent they have out there. A lot of teams around the league, they spent money in the wide receiver department because they looked at what Cincinnati's doing. They didn't straight up say it. But it's a perfect example of what you should do when it comes to playmakers. I think a lot of people go back to 2020 and think, T. Higgins, I didn't have Cincinnati taking T. Higgins in the second round. Obviously, he fell you know, early in the second because they're picking first in the second round. They get Jamar Chase 50-50. Some wanted offensive linemen. Some wanted Jamar Chase. I'm in Team Chase from day one. I think that was a great move for them, and it paid off. Rookie of the year. You look at guys in the preseason, and I think those are the guys fighting for the job right now when it comes to the wide receiver four spot. Trent Taylor, he's always going to hold a place for a lot of Bengals fans in their heart because you go back to Kansas City. Jamar, Joe, Joe and Jamar, they're mic'd up. Joe says, when we score, we're going for two. They go to Trent Taylor. He makes the catch for the two-point conversion, something they went over two weeks before that game. At the moment, I would say what I've learned – if the season started tomorrow, Trent Taylor's probably my wide receiver number four. How you feel about that? 
I refuse to take Stanley Morgan Jr.'s slander on my first podcast. Oh, honorary fullback Stanley. I love him. He's my wide receiver for bring him on the field just to block. That guy lead blocking. That's what I love to see. <laughs> he gets I'll well, just say Stan- he gets out there. Well, to Stanley Morgan's credit, it's really crazy because when Joe Burrow, he said it last year towards the end of the season when they were sitting down doing interviews, and he said if Stanley Morgan wasn't on this team, he doesn't know if they would be as close as they are. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but that was the connection and chemistry that this team has. Obviously, he's in, he's a special teams guy, and the wide receiver group loves him out there. You look at on the, the social media posts and just some of the training camp practices, they like the guy. There's nothing against Stanley Morgan. I want him to be a part of this team. And honestly, if it has to be – Wide receiver four, Trent Taylor, Stanley Morgan are both your guys. And Joe Burrow can make both those guys look like wide receiver number one or two out there because that's how talented he is. I like it. I mean, I like Stanley Morgan too, but me personally, I can't forget Trent Taylor. I can't forget Trent Taylor and the AFC championship game. Oh man, uh, I can't believe this. No, I'm always I'm always gonna go to bat for Stanley Morgan. I mean, that guy, the receiver room loves him because he gets down and dirty. He gets out there and lead blocks for Joe Mixon. He's driving corners 10 yards downfield. That fires you up. But Jamar Chase was uh, on that one awesome play against Detroit. He's lead blocking down the field. That's what Stanley does every time he gets on the field. You know, it's not, you know, why it's not highlighted is because, you know, he's doing it every time he's out there. I highlight it (laughs) if nobody else does. I love the guy. Uh, If you're looking at specifically a receiver, receiver, wide receiver for Trent Taylor is probably a fine choice. Mike Thomas, not bad when he gets in there he's always been at least with burrow fine he catches some balls he caught the touchdown against the browns i remember uh just i feel like he's always fine when he gets out there as the fourth wide receiver i think trent taylor also does a good job when he gets out there really you could get something more dynamic like a will fuller and there's probably a reason will fuller is still out there right maybe it's just the injury thing and people are just tired of signing him these 10 million dollar deals and then he gets injured by week three so maybe the Bengals don't want to do that type of thing but I think you could look outside for a more dynamic wide receiver, but really I feel okay with what they've got. And whether that's Trent Taylor, your guy, or it's my guy, Stanley Morgan, who I hope one of these days, you know, maybe he'll get the ball in his hands sometimes and see if he could do something there. I'll just say we're both, I'm I personally, I can speak for B. I'm not an Odell Beckham Jr. person who says like, let's wait and see what happens. And he comes back like mid season. That's not going to happen. That's not happening in Cincinnati. So here's what we're going to do, Mike. It's our first episode. It's August 23rd. I'll go Trent Taylor. You go Stanley Morgan. There's nothing against Stanley Morgan. I hope he succeeds. This team loves, loves him. And when you have number nine on your side, you're good. You're good for the rest of the time. And, and Joe, Joe thinks a lot of Stanley Morgan, but it was our first episode. And this is a lot of fun. I think we could have talked for like two more hours and credit to our guy, Nick, our producer, who's given us our time on the side. And he's kind of like, okay, guys, wrap it up, wrap it up. I know there's plenty to talk about. And, and we're in preseason right now. Preseason's almost over. And we'll be back two episodes a week. And in regular season, you're going to hear from us three times a week. I'm really, really pumped about this new podcast. First episode, it's always game day in Cincinnati. And we hope you tune in later this week. I'm Lindsay Patterson. You can find me over on Twitter at LNDS Patterson. Mike, give a shout out to your Twitter. Yeah, sh- uh, I'm Mike Santagata. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bengals underscore Sands. A lot of stuff up there, a lot of clips, a lot of offensive line talk, a lot of Stanley Morgan fullback talk. 
I'm the worst. Don't hate me, Twitter. I still love Stanley Morgan. But but we'll be back later this week, and I hope you take a listen. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode, and it's always game day in Cincinnati.